Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern varieties. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make. But don't say we didn't warn you. Interred. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. The concordance says that the word interred does not show up anywhere in Hamlet. So well, Where the fuck does it show up? What's it pulled from? Uh, is, uh, we've got oh, that's Henry from Caesar. Caesar. Interred with their bones, the the good yes. is often turred with their bones. Is that that's how from it Caesar? Stands? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The evil that men do mm-hmm. lives after them. Yep, the good is often turred yep. with their bones. Aha! I just had the so play wrong. Shitty, <laughs> shitty, shitty, shitty. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. Fuck you, Shakespeare. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Welcome to the Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. Uh, and this week we are talking about Jennifer Lee Carroll's Interred with Their Bones. Ooh. Ooh. No one knows what that means. Ooh. I was going to say, I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, like what literally no one knows that? what that means. But well, we're going to tell you. Yeah, we're going to tell you. We're going to tell you what it is. Uh, but first... Before we tell you what that is, we are going to tell you that this is a 202 level episode and it's the second one we've ever done. Yeah. Uh, So what does that mean? Yeah. So a 202 is a it's sort of a fun little hybrid type of episode. So it means that because it's a 200 level, it means we assume you have a passing familiarity with the source text of the adaptation response adjacent text that we are actually talking about Uh, so we don't need to summarize that text again Mm -hmm. Um, we will be blending some features of 101 and 201s so we're going to give you a little bit of introductory stuff like summaries and things like that to engage with this text with interred with their bones Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So we'll give you some one-on-one stuff, but we'll also give you like a little bit of more of a close reading of the thing, which is more like two hundred level stuff. So we're we're doing a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah. We're not really, I think, doing too much close reading this episode, eh, but we'll see. It's fine. Anyway, whatever. So it, yeah. in other words, we're giving you an introductory <laughs> level of something that's like adjacent to the mm-hmm. play, kinda. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not even sure we could call this a Hamlet 202, really, because it pulls from yeah. so many plays. Yeah. Like. Uh, yeah. Well, there's, but we, yeah. We're, we'll get there. Let's not blow okay, our Okay, okay, okay. We're going to get there. Sorry, sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. We, we got to do happy hour first. Unless we do happy we hour get... last and we just like jump right in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no, no. Um. Okay, happy hour. Yeah, this is where we talk about stuff that we like that makes the world a little less terrible. And sometimes it's things like, you know, decolonization and anti-racist pedagogy. And other times it's just straight up fluffy puppies yep. and other fluffy adorable good things that yep. make you happy mm-hmm. um so for me i i don't have anything to recommend like for the people i just i just experienced a thing that i haven't experienced in at least two years which is um a, a happy opening night party um like considering Amazing. considering everything that asc has been through in a, in a while um you know some of you are like uh what 
an opening night party is an opening night party, Aubrey. But it's not just an opening night party if you have the rocky history that the American Shakespeare Center does. And it was like ebullient. It was effusive. It was effervescent. What are some other E words that I could throw out? It was really fun. Um, And like people were happy to be there and they weren't like forced to be there. Uh, And they were all, I know, and they were all talking about how happy they were and like how fun the show is. We just opened a Christmas Carol this last weekend uh, and like we're back in action and like, like the stuff we've been doing to take care of our people seems to Mm -hmm. be working. Um, It was, I mean, it was fucking great. Like I haven't been to a really fun part. I mean, plus COVID, right? It's been two years since anybody's been able to gather anyway. Um, so it was just really nice. Also, there was a literal puppy there. There was a fluffy little husky puppy named Kira, and she had the Kira. biggest, bluest eyes, and she was, like, strangely calm for a puppy. She was just hanging out. Maybe, I don't know, she was maybe eight to ten weeks old. She was so oh. tiny and so fluffy, and oh I cried. God. Like, I had a straight-up, yeah. like, new girl Jessica Day puppy in a cup moment where I was like puppy (laughs) she was the cutest um so it was a really good night that's my happy hour was an actual happy hour with like alcohol and stuff Mm. yeah I just came from a happy hour that was not (laughs) quite so happy uh anyway uh so this week I read two romance novels Mm. um i'm i'm in a book club and the book club is called the happy endings book club because it's a romance book club Uh uh-huh everybody gets their happy ending yeah there's a double meaning in that double entendre (laughs) double entendre um anyway so the the book this month was all the feels by olivia dade d-a-d-e which is uh uh kind of like a sequel i guess um except it did not matter that i read the second one before the first one the the first book that she wrote was called spoiler alert um mm-hmm. and they both take place within uh a game of thrones-esque fandom um where like normal girls end up dating the super hot actors um but the normal girls in in both of these books are the i think the first one is is described as or the the first girl that i read which is the second girl in the second book uh (laughs) her name is lauren um and she's described as being short and round and bird-like and like not classically attractive in any kind of way she's just like an actual normal human and there's kind of nothing special about her except for that she's an awesome person and it's like this this fantastic like every girl romance and then she ends Mm -hmm. up dating like the hot like the hot the hottie mccotterson and then they get married and it's you know it's a happy ending um and also there's like some sex (laughs) like some some hot sex and there's pegging and there's um fanfic and it's it's fantastic anyway uh and then the first book um the the girl the normal girl is described as beautiful but is also um a fat woman and uh a geologist which is fucking cool as shit um and like there's a uh, there's some heavy-handed um we gotta dig beneath the surface uh, geology 
pun type things that are a little little silly um (laughs) but anyway both both books are uh just so so charming and delightful and fluffy and you know happy endings but also like deal with very real sort of concerns there's like uh one of one of the love interests has adhd and uh another guy is like dealing with um like imposter syndrome and it's just i just they the characters felt real and accessible and beautiful and i think the the author um in one of the books had like dedicated it to like all of the women who look like me who don't think that their happy ending is out there like it is and i just i just i loved all of it i loved all of it and i like reading romances with you know women who are real and not you know eight foot tall blonde amazons with like perfect skin and no pores and feet that smell like roses you know but who somehow don't know how beautiful they are right one of them wears glasses it's a flaw she's hiding her beauty (laughs) under her spectacles yes yeah yeah yeah. so anyway uh those are those are my recommendations um yeah and and they're sexy and that's you know all i all i really ask for out of my romance novels is Sex, the sex and character depth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure it would be a romance novel if there wasn't at least some fucking. Yeah. So uh, let's hop in, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you you go. Girl. Yeah. Okay. So so the DP comes first, but I I think before we do the DP, we need to say what this is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've kind of glossed over that. Yeah. So, so I think we should do the, the summary first and then the DP anyway. Um, so this week we're talking about a book. Yeah. It's, a book. It's not a, a play. Yes. A book. It's a book. Yeah, it's, it's a, a novel. novel. Um, from a like who done it. 2004 mystery thriller genre. Yeah. Two. 2007 sorry okay. um it's set in 2004 Ooh, turn of the century i know i know oh my um, goodness and it's i i read it for the first time eh, probably not in 2007 um probably in like 2009 but you know pretty pretty quick mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and have uh, loved it immediately um and then have read it you know every couple years since then um and this this reading for this episode was the first time i've read it uh post like graduate school um Mm, yes so i i had it was a different reading experience yeah anyway uh so the summary that we're going to do for you this week is we're just going to read the blurb Mm-hmm. that's you know like on the back of the book um aubrey do you have that handy do you want to give us a dramatic handy. reading i would be thrilled I yeah i'd love to Ugh. um i'm not sh- hold up your edition i just want to see on the cameras your... oh i have um mine's the hardback Ooh, fancy yeah hardback. i had i had the paperback i don't know what happened i lent it to someone and never mm-hmm. got it back so i i had to yeah i got yeah, this paperback anyway. on thrift books Mm-hmm. So, which everybody should use instead of Amazon to get your books. Fucking right. Um, also, books is what fucking if, great. What if that book is the one that I had that I never got back? Oh my god. <gasps> Would you have? Are you the type of person who writes your name in your book? No, but I do write oh. in the books. Oh, 
Like even novels yeah. that you read, you write in the oh, like, yeah. right in the margins. Oh yeah. Girl, really? you wanna see how fucking annotated this book is wow. right now. That's so involved. Maybe that's yeah. why I, I never mean, remember I don't, anything is I should annotate I don't do it something. All the time. Yeah. But I do I'm not I'm a not infrequent annotator of yeah. my novels. Anyway, take us away. Read us yeah. the blurb. Well now I'm just curious about who this book belonged to. It is it is redacted. Whatever whoever oh. this belonged to. Somewhat yeah, they probably, had written their name on the inside cover. Probably it not. Looks me. like a P or an R. But that's nope. about as far as I can get. It's been I blacked out. Either so, of those letters. <laughs> well, anyway, it's not you. So it's nope. less fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So at the top, I'm I'm just gonna read like yeah, almost everything us, on here. Give us the whole thing. Um a desperate race to find literary gold and just to stay alive. Ooh. Ooh, dun dun dun. On the eve of the Globe's production of Hamlet, Shakespeare scholar and theater director Kate Stanley's eccentric mentor rosalind howard gives her a mysterious box claiming to have made a groundbreaking discovery but before she can reveal it to kate the globe burns to the ground and roz is found dead murdered in the strange manner of hamlet's father opening the box kate finds the first piece in a shakespearean puzzle that sets her off on a deadly high stakes treasure hunt racing from england to spain to america On the trail of a 400-year-old mystery, she soon realizes that the prize at the end promises to unlock literary history's greatest secret. But Kate is not alone in this hunt, and the buried truth threatens to come at the ultimate cost. Dun-dun-dun! That's really interesting. Um, Your blurb is a little different than mine. How different? I mean textual variation, right? Like, this is the paperback edition. Yours is hardback. Mm-hmm. Looks like like the cover illustrations are definitely different. Yeah. Um, this one um, was printed. What year was this paperback put out? 2007. Mm-hmm. Oh, excerpt from Haunt Me Still, 2009. So mm. actually, this must be put out in 2009 because because yeah. it's got the excerpt. It's got the excerpt from the sequel. So cool. 2009 is when this one came out. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not super different. Mine doesn't say theater director, just calls her Shakespeare scholar, Kate Stanley. It doesn't name Roz at all. Um, yeah. And then, uh, before at the end, before on the trail of the 400 year old mystery, it says an expert in occult Shakespeare. Kate knows better than anyone. The many secrets, half truths, codes, and curses surrounding his life and work. Yeah. Yeah. That is so interesting what yeah. things are left off and like which what the public I mean, this is all the publisher, right? This isn't even yeah. this is barely yeah, yeah. even the author anymore. Right. Right. It's just what the publishers want to say to sell yeah. the book. Um so, anyway, anyway, uh, so that's um that's the, the basic premise of yeah. of this text. That's the gist. We're we're I guess we should say spoilers ahead. Oh, Um, yeah. I mean, it is a mystery. So if this is if you want to if you want to read this book, which you should, you really should, because it's fantastic. um, Just, you know, listener beware. We are not going to give away the ending. I have I have said that in in all caps in our episode notes we're not going to talk about the end um okay it is not i think much of a spoiler to say that what they're hunting for is cardenio right which is sort of 
it's I think it's the last thing on my list here for things that we need to talk about, but it's the first one we're going to talk about. Have we talked about Cardenio? I know we have, but we've uh, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. Have we? <laughs> I, OK, I don't, we have never devoted an episode to it because like, right. how can you for a text that yeah. barely it's, it's or partially <laughs> exists and that is lost? Yeah. Did we want to mention the DP first? Oh, yes. Yeah, let's do that. And then we'll talk about Cardenio. Yeah, so there okay. are some folks in this story. Um, mm-hmm. Kate being one, obviously, Kate from the Stanley. blurb. She's she's, our, she's your main girl. A pro-tag, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's a scholar who's been invited. She's an American scholar who's been mm-hmm. invited to direct a production at Le Globe. Yes. Like and she's under 30. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's a doctor. She's a Harvard educated Shakespearean mm. who's left the ivory tower behind right. to, to make her mark in the theater. Right. She's found her people in the theater. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is so, kind of a it's kind of that's kind of like a running theme in the book, because like her old mentor was really mad at her for doing that. Yeah. 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 Um, so her her old mentor, who is the one who gets murdered in the globe fire in in the manner of hamlet's father her name is rosalind howard um which i i have a, a marginal note somewhere in here uh that's like, like rosalind so Hello. we gotta talk about her name is what we fucking got and do. howard yes um yes. and and like so so obviously that's a big important name but then like what do we do with kate stanley like how mm-hmm. you know what what shakespearean things are there i mean like, she's kate, pulling a bunch of but, yeah well stanley yeah. i can think of the earl of stanley in oh, the, the earl of stanley okay. yeah who yeah, the one who like punked out in the battle of bosworth <laughs> sure I couldn't I couldn't come up with any. Yeah, I said we got to talk about her name. Rosalind Howard, three exclamation part points. Kate's obvious. But what am I missing with Stanley? Yeah. I mean, it seems to me like big aristocratic surnames are just popping up. Stanley Howard. I mean, Howard becomes important because of the Howards. Anyway. Right. Um, so we've got Kate and Ross. Who else do we have? We have Ben, the super sexy security mm. guard, man of mystery mm. guy, who, I mean, kind of becomes her love interest towards the end. But like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, so he's along for the once. ride. Yeah. 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 Um, then uh, we also have Sir Henry, Sir Henry Lee, who's like mm. a... Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen type. He's yeah. like the the grand dame of the stage, except he's not a dame. He's a sir. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he he uh, helps helps along the way with like because he's a sir. He's got money and access and, you know, yeah. all of all of yeah. the things that that you need. Yeah. Um, so. Then you have somebody named Athenade who I can't remember why they're important. You don't remember Athenade? No, I told you I read this like three months oh, ago. My okay. brain is a All right, sieve. Okay. more than three months ago. Like sure, August, okay. maybe. So um Athenade Preston uh is a collector. Um, ah. Yes. She she Oh the old lady. The old lady. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. The eccentric um, old lady. Mm-hmm. The eccentric old lady who 
just has like her own private archive and endows the archive at uh, Utah Shakes and um, also just like casually builds a replica of Elsinore in the fucking desert in Arizona because you can do that when you're Doesn't that come up more in book two rather than is that mentioned in book one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's like a, it's a big together thing. together for me. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Love it's a big it. thing. I think Athenate is slightly more present as a as a focus in book two, but yeah. um, we we would not have book one without her. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Matt Morris, who, if I am not mistaken, is Kate's like scholarly rival back at Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's her her Harvard colleague. Um, right. Who. But they kind of like love hate each other. Yeah, they bump heads a lot, and he he blunders and fucks some shit up for her. And yeah, yeah. So he's, he's that guy. Yeah, he's he's um, a, an obstacle in this yeah, plot. Yeah, and kind of a an all. He's he's um. There's a Shakespearean way to say it, but I can't think of what it is. He's he's all bluster and and very little substance. Mm. Um, in his scholarship, mm-hmm. it's a there's something in like a walking shadow poor player that struts and frets his hour on the stage something like that somewhere <laughs> somewhere in there is a is a mm. matt morris anyway mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. not his name is not matthew morrison which is what i originally wrote and i was like lol like the guy from glee um but that's <laughs> not his name <laughs> yeah no <laughs> yeah okay so those are those are the big players um the ones that might come up in the discussion of the book uh yeah. that i frankly actually think are not all that much going to come up in the discussion of the book because <laughs> the whole list of things that we gotta fucking oh, talk man. about are like the scholarly things that i took issue with so buckle up yeah um so let's circle back to cardenio because that is at the heart of yes this text right is there Mm -hmm. it is it is super this is a hamlet 202 uh there's a lot of hamlet in the text Mm -hmm. hamlet is what gets us going um but cardenio is what brings us home so aubrey what can you tell us about cardenio uh i think it has an alternate title double falsehood Mm. (laughs) no okay never mind uh i I have yes i thought they were the same they're not double falsehood is the um 18th question mark century revision of it oh so all we have of cardenio is double falsehood and double falsehood is trash gotcha Okay, yeah. so that's what I'm connecting in my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, other than that, there's a guy named Cardenio. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Did I mention uh, how hard my fall has been? <laughs> like, yeah, it's been good. a really you're rough good, fall. Okay. I don't remember anything. You're fine. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, and you can cut this out, uh, but I, I'll just, I'll forge ahead and you just, you'll be, you'll be my James and Alice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So Cardenio is a lost play. We know Shakespeare wrote it. We know, we know he wrote it in um, like 1612 ish, maybe 1611, 16. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a late play. Very late. Um, it was probably a collaboration with uh, Fletcher. We know it was performed. I believe we know it was entered in the stationer's register. I do not believe it was ever printed or if it was, it was a very, very small print run. And, you know, obviously no copies survive because 
you know, lost. Or do they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so what what we think we know about Cardenio, what the, the substance of the play um, is that it takes up the Cardenio subplot from Don Quixote uh by um cervantes and then of course i'll just put that out there there are plenty of people who think that cervantes was actually shakespeare those people are wrong but uh we're gonna be talking about authorship a lot so i'm just Mm. gonna we're just gonna say it um so in in the uh i think i think i said 18th century a guy Mm -hmm. uh whose name is in here somewhere Probably. He had a copy of Cardenio uh, in manuscript, probably. Um, manuscript for those listening means handwritten, not mm-hmm, printed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, not printed. Um, and he, uh, Theobald, Louis Theobald, that's what uh-huh. his name is. Yeah, in, in the 18th century, yes. He adapted it into this play called double falsehood we have the whole play of double falsehood it is very very bad (laughs) (laughs) it's it's, yeah it's real bad um anyway the the cardenio subplot of uh don quixote is uh it's you know it's it's the kind of story that shakespeare would have gotten up to a lot he's you know we've got the love test and mm-hmm. the the evil prince and the fair maiden and the mm-hmm. you know lovers who can't be together and the evil dad and then but like everything comes together at the end and it's happy and we love it and it ends in a marriage you know so ultimately um, it's a comedy the cardenio subplot yes. is the comedy in yeah, by yeah. nature okay yeah it is bad <laughs> I I read it for comps and I went, what the fuck? <laughs> um, it has an Arden edition. So like, it's an important play because it's all we have of Cardenio, but it's not a good play. Yeah. So anyway, um, so that's what Cardenio is. Uh, that's the thing that Roz thinks she's found. Um, she hasn't actually found it. She's found a clue that it might exist. And then, you know, that's what the, the that's like the book clue trail. is. It's the, yeah. it's it's the hunt. That. It's yeah. We, we start with one clue and we go to the next and the next the and race the next, for next. Cardenio. Yeah. To see if, if it does exist yeah. and can we find it and uh, no spoilers. Well, I mean, some spoilers, but not this one. We're not going to tell you. We're going to tell uh-huh. you how it ends. Uh-huh. Um, so that's Cardenio. Let me scroll back up to the top of my list of things. <laughs> uh, so the so let's talk about the plays um, that show up mm-hmm. in this text. Mm-hmm. Uh, we chose this for Hamlet because it starts with Hamlet. It very literally starts with Hamlet. It does. A production of Um, Hamlet at the Globe. Yeah, at the Globe. You know, Roz makes her entrance, like, as the ghost of of old Hamlet when Mm -hmm. they're in the middle of rehearsing the scene. And I wrote in the margin, like, that's a a hell of an entrance. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the Globe burns and uh, she's found after they put the fire out, she's found dead. uh, And she's dead because she's been injected with poison in her ear. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know sounds Sound like familiar. Uh-huh. Sounds like someone's death yes. that we know. That's not the only Hamlet business. There, there is. There's a murder. 
there there are some more murders in this book um but there's murdering there's one in particular where kate is hiding behind an heiress and someone comes and stabs through the heiress uh and she manages to escape but um you know stabs her attacker in return uh and then is like ah fuck uh someone was trying to make me polonius and this is after she's shown up at the the univer not university um at the utah shakes archive in cedar city um and the like archive librarian there ends up dead uh she is also murdered but in the manner of ophelia she she dies in a pond she's um, drowned she's drowned she's drowned she's drowned horde so the the very first thing that kate does after she gets this clue from roz and after the globe burns is she goes she she flies from london to boston she goes back to harvard to see if she can find some more clues in roz's office and like many professors at r1 schools um Roz has uh, an office in the library, in the in the Harvard library. And Kate uh, kind of camps out there to search it after everybody's gone home for the night. Um, and this is the first time that she's like super in danger. And like we know she's super in danger because there's a stalker in the yeah. stacks. Yeah. Um, and there's this whole like chase scene through mm-hmm. the, the library. Um, but the guy catches her like physically catches her from behind and like whispers some some threat in her ear and then like lets her go and like chases her again it's like a cat and mouse kind of situation and kate hides underneath a desk and the guy walks up to that bank of desks and like checks under every single one except for hers and then walks off and she like you know is panicking 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 and then like gets up to to you know run away some more and What's on top of the desk now that she was hiding under is a page from the folio. <gasps> page from the folio. Uh-huh. And the, the page from the folio is not just any page from the folio. It's it's a page from Titus Andronicus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the page from Titus Andronicus that contains the entrance of Lavinia post rape oh yeah this is the part uh-huh. where it's like a pretty thinly veiled threat boy it's not, right. it's not even thinly Thin, veiled thinly there's veiled. no veil at all yeah no um, it's a, <laughs> a threat so it's, that you're yeah. gonna end up like lavinia basically yes it's it's that page and someone has taken a ballpoint pen and drawn a manicule in the margin a manicule is like a little like it's a it's a hand pointing it's a pointing finger mm-hmm. um it's what the early moderns used instead of arrows and that manicule is pointing towards the stage direction. Enter Lavinia, ravished with her tongue cut out, mm-hmm. or whatever that stage direction is. And then the library explodes. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a whole thing. Um, so we've got we, we've got we've got Hamlet, we've got Titus, we've got mm-hmm. Cardenio. Okay, there are more. Yep. Uh, as we said earlier. In, in the very beginning of this episode, uh, interred with their bones is a line from Julius Caesar. Or interred with their bones. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say it that way because <laughs> I'm mad about it. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. So we, we got interred with their bones uh, is act three, scene two. Um, that's like the it's not the only Caesar in the book. Uh, someone else ends up dead uh, literally on the steps of the Capitol in Washington, D.C., mm. 
yeah. uh, stabbed a shit ton because, you know, Caesar. <laughs> and then yep. finally, and this is, I think, chronologically super out of order uh, from how it appears uh, in the okay. play. But it'll, it'll uh, give those who read the book after reading, hearing this episode yes, something yeah, yeah. to piece together. Um, our last sort of like overt Shakespeare is um, we're at Wilton House in Pembroke or Pembroke House in Wilton or neither of those things. <laughs> um, no, we're at, we're we're in Wilton. Wilton. I think it's Wilton House in Pembroke. Um, okay. The Earl of. Yeah, no, the Earl of Pembroke, his house, which uh-huh. is called Wilton House. Got it. Yes. There it is. Okay. <laughs> so we're at, we're at an <laughs> Earl's house um, and uh, uh, someone there ends up hanged with, and they, they find this woman's body um, surrounded by feathers and with uh, a mirror um, around her neck, which is Cordelia. My poor fool is hanged. And then, you know, he holds up a mirror, uh, to mm. to see if her breath will fog it and he holds up a feather to see if her breath will move it um so we've we've got lear we've got lear uh and they also find a, a very important and useful clue um behind a, a an illustration of a scene from lear in that house so um so those are like the big plays. There's also like a, a gesture towards Romeo and Juliet towards the end. Um, but it's not a good one. So yeah, that's fine. That's okay. Uh, yeah. So the, as, as we have said, the sort of central thrust of this plot huh, mm. is, um, they're looking for Cardenio along the way. <laughs> mm hmm. The authorship question. Uh, this made me want to throw the book across the yeah. room. Uh huh. It was so upsetting. Yeah. Just fucking upsetting. Yeah. I know we've done a Burbage break on the authorship question, although we I have. think it was way back in season one. So just to recap, there are people who think that Shakespeare was not Shakespeare. Yep. The official position of this podcast and most other rational thinkers is that those people are wrong. <laughs> yes. So uh, in in the book, they they mostly focus on Edward de Vere, the 17th Earl of Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who believe that the Earl of Oxford wrote Shakespeare are called Oxfordians or not so nicely Oxfordians. So we're going to talk about this. <laughs> we're going to we're going to run it down. <sighs> I know. I know. Um, I hate giving this airtime, but if we're going to pull I it know. apart, it's fine. Yeah. And we are. <sighs> so one of the one of the big Oxfordian claims in this text, a, a claim that I don't think I've ever heard anywhere else, is that Hamlet the play echoes De Vere's life. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I read through his entire entry in the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography and I was looking for it and I didn't see a damn thing that was like Hamlet-y. Was his so, dad killed by his uncle? I, I, like, not that I did saw. Did his mother marry I, his uncle? Nope, I don't think so. Did he have a girlfriend from like his steward's <coughs> daughter? Well, <laughs> like, wow. Okay, I yeah, have heard the so, argument that that 
Shakespeare's plays in general echo De Vere's life or sort of like trail his autobiography like the the Oxfordians claim that like he couldn't Shakespeare couldn't possibly have written about anywhere in Europe but but De uh De Vere could have because he had traveled or some bullshit like that yeah yeah that's one of the biggest pieces of quote unquote evidence that the Oxfordians use is that Shakespeare's plays are autobiographical for Oxford and but yeah Ain't uh-huh. nobody ever so, been to the Bohemian coast because it doesn't um, exist. <laughs> so yeah. riddle so me that. Let's, let's unpack a little bit of this. Okay. Yeah. So he's the 17th Earl of Oxford. He was born in 1550, which, you know, Shakespeare was born in 1564. So he was alive okay. at that time. Great. Love it. Okay. okay. But he died in 1604. Which was how many years before Shakespeare died? Uh-huh. Let's do that math. Yep. 12. Yep. And now I know you know this one, Aubrey. Uh, if we discount all of the plays that Shakespeare wrote after 1604, what are we what are we losing? What are we how like, many are we giving up? Like half of them. Yeah, like like a like a third, like and big ones. Like there's no Othello, yeah. there's no Tempest, there's no Lear. Yeah. Okay, we barely get Hamlet. Um, yeah. Right. So, anyway. so um, Which they claim the mm-hmm. Earl wrote earlier, and they yeah. just got published posthumously. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is what uh-huh. they claim. They, just, they rolled it out later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus, it's the dumbest. It's really, yeah. Oh, it's um, so dumb. So dumb. Yeah. So, Edward de Vere uh, was the ward of William Cecil, Elizabeth's mm-hmm. spy master. Yes. Um, he married Cecil's daughter. Um, he, we know that he wrote some plays. We know that mm-hmm. he was a playwright. They are all lost. We don't, we don't have any of them. Mm-hmm. Not, not a one, not, not one single one. Um, he was a big time patron of the arts. There is, you know, every indication that Shakespeare and Oxford moved in the same circles. He was briefly not Shakespeare, Oxford. Oxford was briefly exiled from court and briefly imprisoned in the 1580s. Also, this motherfucker was accused of serial child sexual assault. Now this I did not know. He was accused of being a pedophile? Yeah. Oh my and God. like a bad one. I mean, they're all bad, but yes, well, Jesus. Yeah. Not like a one-off and not like fighting against it. You know, like he, yeah. it's a real. Mm-mm. Oh God. Uh-huh. And I'm like, this is the guy that y'all want to say wrote Shakespeare's plays? This, this guy? This is the really? guy whose life mirrors Hamlet's? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you, <laughs> what are you trying to tell us about Hamlet? Yeah. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah. So... So the, the, the big, you know, the big theory for his authorship is, you know, that Shakespeare is a conspiracy theory because Oxford couldn't claim the plays for his own because of, you know, politics or pedophilia or, right. you know, he didn't write them. And that's why he couldn't oh, claim them for his own. Yeah. But what Oxfordians really don't do is explain away his death in 1604. They're just kind of like. Uh, dates are flimsy and also right. 
you know, he faked his death or he was a spy or he had written all of them and we just rolled them out. Right. Or he'd started all of them and then we we sent them on to Shakespeare's company to finish them. And that's why they show evidence of collaboration. Yeah. It's like, yes. Um, So I want to pause and say here and I know I know I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. It is so important to remember that no one, no one questioned Shakespeare's authorship until the mid-19th century. Yep. And Oxford wasn't a popular candidate until the 1920s. Right. (sighs) Can I also add in here that, like... (laughs) The general appeal of any conspiracy theory is helping someone. It just helps someone feel like they have insider information and it's there to make you feel special. Like that's yeah. the whole point of any conspiracy theory. It, like, And that's why they're so appealing. Yeah. Um, it does not make them true or real. No. Uh, but that is why they are appealing. It's fun to feel like you have knowledge that nobody else knows. Or like the, you know... The blind sheep who just follow along and don't know what you know, special person. Yeah. It's elitist Um, nonsense. It is just all rooted in elitist bullshit. Yeah. Um, She said she literally (laughs) sipped her tea. Proud of you, babe. I have an iced tea right now, so. Proud of you. <laughs> um, so, like, the other major authorship thread in the book that we we got to pull on is Delia Bacon. Delia freaking Bacon. Delia Bacon. We Now, we have talked about Delia <sighs> we have. Bacon we have, in a previous episode. She, uh, she went a little cuckoo bananas she, in the search for the authorship, yeah. the real author stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Delia Bacon... Um, lived in the the late 19th century early 20th uh i'm fuzzy on the dates i suppose i could just type her into google and i could look (laughs) Uh, i think you're right no i think you're right i think she was more like she was in the romantic period i think like mid 1800s yeah um uh yeah uh 1811 to 1859 okay there we go so not the earliest 20th century at all (laughs) early mid uh 19th century okay um she's an american woman and her pet person for shakespeare's true identity is francis bacon no relation there's no relation okay they the bacon and bacon not related um who the fuck is francis bacon is the question that probably some of our authors, not authors, listeners, <laughs> are asking themselves right now. Um, Francis Bacon, 1561-1626, uh, um, he was a philosopher, he was a statesman, he yeah. uh, did some traveling, he, he, did, he did some stuff. He also was a, a, a great thinker, he wrote a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, had a huge library. He developed uh, a like a cataloging system. Um, he's a Cambridge uh, graduate. He, you know, was really fucking smart. Um, yeah, cool dude, all on his own. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, yeah. need to also be the the quote unquote true author of Shakespeare's plays. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, he doesn't need that. Delia nope. Bacon. He sure doesn't. Um. So Francis Bacon invented the Bacon cipher. 
um, which is a system of encoding stuff, whatever you want mm-hmm. to encode, you can, you yeah. can encode it. Um, it's a, I think a fairly simple cipher, uh, but it, when put together, it, it is complex and, you know, almost indecipherable. Um, so Delia Bacon, her whole thing is that Francis Bacon wrote the works of Shakespeare and ciphered his identity into the plays. <sighs> yeah. Um, this is kind of on par with the people who are like, you know, if you play the White Album backwards, you're going to hear <laughs> satanic messages. Yeah. Like, this is that kind of nonsense. Well, so she she spent her whole kind of life doing this. Um, she had uh, a breakdown in her mental faculties towards the end of her life. She was institutionalized. She also, can we just talk about, got permission from Trinity Church in Stratford to open mm-hmm. Shakespeare's grave. Yeah, I know. To like see like who the fuck gave her permission to do right? I mean, like what possessed them? What possessed them? Yeah. To 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 give her license to do that, yeah. right? And I I remember this story. She like spent the night in that church mm-hmm. alone and alone and like saw some stuff apparently yeah, like she and came out you know yeah at, like a with a psychotic break yeah she came out of it like not the same yeah <laughs> which like don't so, hang out in haunted british churches right. in, at night by yourself doesn't everyone There's know that like don't literally do that. a curse on shakespeare's tombstone yeah so like don't 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 fuck <laughs> with those bones yeah delia um, so I, as far as I'm aware, she didn't actually open the grave. She just like went in to do it, but then couldn't because of, you know, psychosis and reasons. Yeah. She cracked. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, this the the bacon theory took precedence for a long time, a long, long time. It is unfortunately, aside from Delia Bacon, the the other main guy who's behind the Francis Bacon with Shakespeare theory is a guy named loony <laughs> yeah it's apparently pronounced loney but it's spelled loony l-o-o-n-e-y whose fault is that england uh-huh <laughs> okay <laughs> which you know doesn't help anything no so that's that's kind of the big the 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 big pieces uh of what's going on in this book yeah the book like entertains this all the way through right it entertains these conspiracy theories and teases them out all the way through (laughs) and it is very frustrating the the final piece of the puzzle is francis howard who who is a you know 16th 17th century courtier and that's francis with an e she's a woman the the book seems to imagine that cardenio was written for the purpose of getting back at people who had made fun of francis howard so now we got to talk about francis howard who's yeah, really why actually people... fucking interesting yeah why did people make fun of her again? Yeah, so Francis there was some Howard, kind of scandal with the Howard family. Oh, there were a lot of scandals. I mean, with the sure, family. yeah, there are lots of scandals. All you got to do is watch the documentary The Tudors yes. to know about the Howards. Yeah, so you um, <laughs> and how scheming they were. The Howards, yeah, were one of like the big um, political families of Tudor England. Oh yeah, uh, fucking dynasty. Yes, Anne Boleyn. 
was a Howard. Yep. Um, uh, Henry's fifth wife, Catherine Howard, was a Howard. <laughs> Incidentally, both of the ones who got beheaded. <laughs> yeah. By Henry were yes. Howard women. Yep. Fascinating. Um, uh huh. So Frances Howard is part of this family. Um, she's born in 1590. So she's, you know, she's a little girl. And then she grows up. Okay. She grows up. She gets like married. Like you do. Yeah. She, yes. She gets married to Robert Devereux, who is the third Earl of Essex. You might remember that the second Earl of Essex was Ooh, also yes. named Robert Devereux. And he uh, was involved in a rebellion, it was called the Essex Rebellion. The Essex Rebellion. Uh, features prominently in lore surrounding Richard II, the play, not the, yes. the king. Um, so this is his son, I think. Uh-huh. Who's who's been, you know, sort of reinstated in the in the the family title line. She gets married to this guy. He, the the marriage is po- primarily political. Uh she gets married um at the age of 14. Her husband is 13. So it's like a you guys, you kids are going to go to church, but then right. you're each going to go home to your separate families. Right. Um, Definitely. Yeah, a lot of aristocratic families yeah, yeah, yeah. would do stuff like that. Yeah. Um and then so they don't they don't ever like live together in ever? any significant well, no, I mean, I'm sure sometime, but not in a significant way. Uh-huh. Um for for the bulk of their marriage and certainly the first part of their marriage so they they live kind of separately for about i think about six years um bob i'm gonna call him bob uh bob is a soldier he goes on a military tour um he comes back he's got smallpox she at this time you know has like blossomed into a beautiful young woman because she's a howard girl and it's like become a favorite at court and uh has been making eyes at a man who's not her husband shame shame i know your name uh-huh his name is robert carr Ugh, um, again with these roberts okay uh-huh. well i mean at least you know at least there's no chance of her like calling out someone else's name while they're doing it i suppose yeah. <laughs> keeps it steady yeah so the the thing (laughs) the thing about robert carr is that he is one of king james's favorites and a thing that you might remember about our our dear friend king james the first was that he had uh he he had a thing for the for the dudes he was gay he was a lull gay He's a little he bit also, gay, so his you know, "quote unquote" favorites uh-huh. were his lovers. Yeah, uh, and his was boy Robert, toys. Yeah, was Robert Carr one of her lovers? I mean, who can say? Maybe. Um, so Francis Howard's family um, starts to push for an annulment, not a divorce, because that is a problem, mm-hmm. but an annulment on the grounds that the the marriage was never consummated and. So on and so forth. You might imagine that a countess seeking to be let free of her six-year-old marriage to a count, uh, mm-hmm. or I guess a, an earl, because <laughs> is what they're called in England, mm-hmm. attracted some attention. Yeah, big, and bit boy, scandalous. Yes, yeah. So um, the grounds for the annulment was non-consummation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Aubrey, I'm going to say to you, like I would yes. say to my students, 
Yes. Non-consummation means what? They didn't fuck. Which means Francis Howard is a what? A virgin. Yes. Okay. How do we prove this? <sighs> yeah. Usually it was some old quote-unquote doctor who had to finger that poor girl mm -hmm. to check that her hymen was intact. Yeah. So... Um, this is, this is, uh, this is the crux. So, um, in order to get this annulment, Francis Howard has to be examined. Uh-huh. Not by an old man, by ten matrons and two midwives. Oh my god. Uh-huh. There's a lot of, there's a lot of women. That's a lot of fingers. Yes. Who and they were so that, not sanitary. They didn't wash their hands, nope, you guys. Nope. Yep. They found that her oh. hymen was intact. Um, and that alone, right, is like juicy ass gossip. Right. You're, you're hooked. You're interested. Okay. What if I told you, Aubrey, that that's not all there was to it? I would not be surprised. Okay. So <laughs> during this examination... Francis Howard, uh, you know, rightly is being subjected to um, a, a real invasive procedure. Uh, and she requests for modesty's sake that she remains veiled the whole time. Mm hmm. Now, Aubrey, what happens when a person wears a veil? Early modern facial blindness happens. <laughs> well, yes, but specifically it obscures their face. Yes. Yeah. So the story goes, that was not Francis Howard who they were examining. <gasps> it was a body double. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Who could have like, seen that coming? It's fucking scandalous. OK, so the annulment goes through. Uh, she gets married to Robert Carr 11 days before the annulment happens. Robert Carr's best friend, Sir Thomas Overbury dies he <laughs> dumb is name. also overbury in the tower he's in the tower of london he dies in the tower okay uh -huh. he dies like the prison part of the tower or like like the, the, the nice prison part, of the, part of the tower okay in gotcha the prison. Yeah, he's, okay. Yeah. um 11 days after he dies francis gets her in Olin. okay what's the connection here you ask well i'm glad you asked oh, thank you <laughs> yeah so this is 1613 okay mm-hmm a year and a half later, Francis is now married. She's Francis Carr. She's happy. They're all happy, except they're sad because bestie Thomas Overbury died a year and a half ago. And like, wham. OK, um, <laughs> this random guy <laughs> a year and a half later oh, no. is on his deathbed. And what does he say on his deathbed? Francis Howard paid me 20 pounds to supply her with poison to murder Thomas Overbury. <gasps> so now she's a body double using poison dealing bitch. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So turns out she kind of did it. And she kind of did it because bestie Thomas Overbury was like, hey, bestie Robert Carr, don't marry this bitch. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was like the early modern... Carol Baskin. Uh-huh. She got away with murder. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she's put on trial. Robert Carr's put on trial. Everybody's on trial. Um, and they find Francis had, in fact, been poisoning Thomas Overbury by smuggling, you know, like 
pastries and shit into his uh, jail cell. But those pastries and shit had been laced with arsenic and, you know, other kinds of poisons. Now, let's remember, please, also that Robert Carr is one of James's favorites. So they both go to prison. They both go to the tower. I think their their sentences are commuted. She is found guilty. Uh, her husband's found guilty of being an accessory after the fact. They are sentenced to death, but then, you know, commuted to life yeah. imprisonment. They get a pardon from King James in 1622. So seven years later. Damn. That's a yeah. long time to be locked up in the tower. Uh, it's a long time. It's a long, long time. Um, and then uh, Frances Howard dies, um, you know, a, a little bit after her release. Um, sure. Anyway, if you want to read a, a novel sort of dramatizing all of this, uh, Poison Bed is the name of it. And it's it made me furious, um, but in a good way. <laughs> So check that out. Uh, so that's that's the Francis Howard story. And again, to bring this back to the book, um, it's kind of the the whole sort of thread is that like Cardenio was written to defend Francis Howard. OK, yeah, because Car Denio uh-huh. Car. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Tenuous mm-hmm. at best. Yes. And of course, I just want to I want to say again, there is no evidence for any of this. <laughs> no, no. This is all totally fictional to take you on a romp through fun, you know, locations in Shakespeare land and also yeah. make you flaming hot Cheetos mad. Yeah. Um, sometimes. Yeah. So this book pulls on. Yeah, it pulls on a bunch of different threads to take you around. Uh, it pulls it gives you a bunch of. Shakespearean Easter eggs. It's got lots of twists and turns, like a regular thriller in a in a mystery genre. It's yeah. it uh, points to some infuriating conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is really good. It. I mean, yeah, it's the, fun. It's a yeah. fun book. I, the, the scholarship yeah. is a little anger making. Yeah. Um, we should also <laughs> say that the author has a PhD in literature from Harvard. Right. So this feels slightly autobiographical on her part. Yeah. I mean, if, if yeah. only the protagonist or like the roots of her protagonist, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe. I, there was a lot of shit in the book that I was like, no, no way a Harvard trained Shakespearean doesn't know the answer to these questions. Yeah. Because there's a well, lot she'd of... spent too much time in the theater. Obviously, it, it had ruined been like her brain. two years. <laughs> anyway. Well, as we know, two years can be a very, very long time. Yeah. So, um... in a minute, there are many days. Okay, just yeah. that's all I'm saying. <sighs> yeah. So yeah. read it. <laughs> read it. Do read it. Do do do. Uh, and then also the. Um, there's a sequel. It's called Haunt Me Still, and it's uh, it's real Macbethy, um, really Macbethy. Yeah, very murdery, very murdery. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not quite as good as this one, but it's it's, it's still yeah. it's a it's a solid read. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if 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 mysteries are your jam, like this mm-hmm. is definitely a good one. You know, it's mm-hmm. a good blend of Shakespeare and and mystery thriller <laughs> stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah. All right. So that's that. Shall we gossip? Not a whole lot this week because, you know, not a whole lot most weeks. But ACMRS is got a, a couple cool things coming up. Uh, that's the Arizona Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is what they're calling their first book institute that is basically a, a fellowship program um, for people working on their first book, uh, specifically, um, you know, people who are working on pre-modern critical race studies. They're also doing a second book institute for people who are, you know, slightly farther along uh, and are working on a, a second book. Mm-hmm. Um, Joyce Green McDonald is leading the first book institute uh, and Fran Dolan is leading the second book institute. And I just like... What freaking powerhouses. This is coming up uh, in February, February through June of next year, 2022, 2022. Mm-hmm. That's how <laughs> many numbers are in 2022. It's a lot of 20s. <laughs> um, so if you are out there uh, in in the world and you are working on a first or second book that would fall into this, uh, applications are due January 10th. And they are super, super, super low, uh, not low stakes, but low maintenance, low effort, maybe. It's 500 words uh, of a project description and a sample chapter and then like a brief outline of progress that you have made so far. So give that give that a a, a whirl if that. Uh, sounds like it would benefit you. And then the next, right the the other thing that they have coming up is um, their poetics symposium. Mm, yeah, uh, this is exciting. Yeah, it looks cool. Um, so this is January 28, 29 of 2022. Uh, it is in person and being live streamed. Um, and the little the little blurb that they have uh, says, this symposium will invite scholars and poets to examine the ways race can, should, and or does function within poetic paradigms. Along with our distinguished speaker, Fred Moten, we ponder the question of how we can read the poem is redoubled now. Now, how can we read this poem? Question mark. Maybe looks better on the page than it did with me reading mm. it, but uh, it's cool. A um, lot of like, lot of really fucking good speakers. Brandy Adams yeah. is going to be there. Um, Jackie Murray, Deborah Priya Sarkar, uh, Reggie Wilburn, who's University of New Hampshire. Um, just like it's a, it's an all star lineup. It's going to be fucking cool you know so like register for that shit yeah i mean these are free right they're race before race symposiums Mm -hmm. are free they're virtual yeah um they are they're very cool they're very cool that's uh what i've got what have you got cool so i've been seeing this pop up on twitter every once in a while in the Mm -hmm. five minutes that i look at twitter every morning Mm -hmm. um this is people keep tweeting about this this book of shakespearean lady editors yeah so there's this book coming out soon i thought it was supposed to come out like this month and then i went to cambridge press and it says it's not coming out until january but whatever um but there's a no it's out it's it's in bookstore windows cambridge press doesn't seem to think so because they're like pre-order now this book comes out in january 2022 well I mean, I only did a very cursory search. I didn't, yeah, like, I've, dig deep. But, see, I thought it was out, too. I thought yeah. it was out for sale. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, there's a book by Molly Yarn called Shakespeare's Lady Editors, and it's tracing the history of the women who contributed to like the editorial and textual mm-hmm. history of Shakespeare's plays. Um, there's a an article about it from The Guardian that I will post mm-hmm. here, and then you can sort of follow the thread uh, from there to find your copy of the book. But like, seems very cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and very interesting. Yeah, her work is her work is really freaking cool. Yeah, and it just like you know covering like the women who were whose contributions to to that textual history are have been completely overlooked in favor of like Pope and what's his face Roe. You know all the big mm-hmm. names in in mm-hmm. Shakespearean editing. So so that's really cool. So there's that. Um, also, just on a more local note, I suppose, um, I went and saw, I think, I think this might have been the first live performance I've seen outside of Blackfriars Playhouse since the pandemic hit. Um, I went to uh, the Shakespeare Performance Program at Mary Baldwin's, uh, their MFA small scale show. It's Polaris Shakespeare. That's their company. That's the MFA company name this year. They did a five hand Coriolanus. I will never turn down an opportunity to see Coriolanus. I was really, really (laughs) excited to see how gay it was. Uh And I really wanted to know if it was gay enough. It is, but only barely. Um, (laughs) It was... (laughs) The Ophidius was, like, perfectly gay. And the the Coriolanus was, like, not giving it back to him as much as I wanted him to. But it's fine. Um, So, but it was good. Like, it's really tough to tell a a Roman tragedy with only five people, and their storytelling was very clear. Um, Their transitions between characters were really good. The ensemble work was great. Good job, Polaris Shakespeare. So, just wanted to shout them out. They're doing a good job. One one more thing that I want to shout out is... um, friend of the pod i don't we've never had her on so i don't but like twitter friend of ours uh hayley bachrock um oh yeah is, yeah yeah she she is working on i think it's a postdoc um uh-huh. oh it's a it's an early career fellowship at uh urec dub roehampton english and creative writing um at the university of roehampton in london um on shakespeare and consent uh which is real real stinking cool um and she just got a write-up in the telegraph with a headline that is not the best uh (laughs) shakespeare actors should be taught sexual ethics says academic is the headline there um way to go telegraph yeah, but the story itself uh, is is apparently um, pretty well done, even if it does have a cringy title. Um, and then there's also like the the first picture in the story is Judy Dench's Titania with uh, bottom. Um, so like, who doesn't love to look at that? Um, Always the story is paywalled. So if you're not um, if you're not a subscriber, I don't think you can get to it just you know it's a cool project that is out there in the world shakespeare and consent it's a big important topic um Hmm. and we're thrilled that you know she's getting getting write-ups in the freaking telegraph that's what we got way to go yeah way to go Haley. um cool thanks for listening everybody we hope you leave this podcast more informed (laughs) and like raring to read a a good book than when you you read it yeah it's good it's real good yeah it's good 
Yeah. And if not, if you're not going to read it, well, you've learned some shit about Francis it's, Howard. So If it weren't winter, I'd say it's a good beach read. Yeah. You know, for our yeah, friends yeah. in the Southern Hemisphere, it's a great beach read. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So tune in next time for what are we doing? Have we decided? Um, well, I mean, we should say that we are taking a little mini holiday break. So the next time you're going to hear from us is mid-January. Uh, yeah. And we're doing an episode and we're going to have a guest. <laughs> okay. Yep. That's cool. what we know about that. He's still... I'm giving slightly away. Uh, he is still choosing what topic he wants to talk about, but okay. he will be with okay. us and doing an All episode. Right. Yeah. Well, it'll be it'll be cool. It'll be cool and great and fun. It will. Uh, so that's it. Suspense. It we're we're just leaning into the suspense, like like this novel. Yes. Yeah. Do your Wemlet mm. out again. I'm sorry I interrupted it. <laughs> no, it's fine. Wemlet out. The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast. Please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla, H-O-L-L-A, at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurlyburlyshake, no S, on Twitter, the land on which I live and work, colonially known as Stanton, Virginia, is the unceded territory of the Monacan Confederation of Nations, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. The traditional custodians of the land on which I live are the Lenape Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Learn about where you live at native-land.ca. Get involved at ndncollective.org and find out more about the Land Back campaign at landback.org. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. I don't like Interred. Do, do I dare? I'm <laughs> I sorry. don't like Interred. I think that's silly. I just say Interred anyway. It is kind uh, of silly for a book title. I interrupted title. you and I no, it's rabbit hold you. So it's a, I don't care. Where were we? <laughs> um, I was just explaining what a 202 means. But right. Like, yes. And then I said we're not going to do a close reading. Eh, eh, it's fine.